being a forgiving farmer, being a forgiving farmer, and I'm going to show you why, because you saw when we're talking about reaping and sowing, we're talking about um, um, serving God, we're talking about giving, we're talking about helping others, we're talking about being faithful. How does forgiving come into place? And I'm going to show you. There's an agricultural scripture in Mark 4, 14 through 20, and we've been studying agriculture for the past several weeks. And it says in Mark 4, 14 through 20, the sower sows the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on ground. As soon as they hear the word, Satan comes and takes it away. There's faithful farmer. See, I put the word faith in there because faith comes by hearing the word of God. And some people, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes it away, and they're not faithful farmers. The seed that fell on rocky ground are the people who respond with enthusiasm. In other words, they're excited. They respond fervently. And I'm sure you've used that word fervently many times in your conversations with people here in Socasty, South Carolina. As soon as they hear the word, they have no real character. They endure for a little while. But then when trouble arises, they get offended or they get their feelings hurt and they fall away or they leave the people that God's put in in relationship with them. They leave their church. They leave their family because they're offended. The seed that fell among the thorns are those who hear the word but the worries of this life, now not the future of heaven like we talked about, but their future here on earth, it worries them so bad, the deceitfulness to get rich, the pleasure for things, choke out the word and they never produce any fruit. But the seed that fell on good soil are the ones who hear the word, receive it and welcome it, and they become the fruitful farmers that God has called us to become. Here's the point of this sermon today. The reason we're talking about forgiving farmer. <clears throat> um... You reap what you sow, but you sow based on what's inside of your heart. In other words, um, you don't leave this place and do the right thing because I preached on it. Nobody does that. Nobody leaves this place and does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. We don't do that. The reason we do what we do is because of what's going on inside of our heart. You reap what you sow, but you sow based on what's in your heart. The goal is for the Word of God to change your heart. So when you leave here, you automatically do the things God wants you to do. But you try to, when you try to change somebody and force them to do the right thing and preach to them and say, this is right and you're doing what's wrong, nobody does the right thing because of that. We do what's ever inside of our heart. Here's what the Scripture is saying. Before something happens in our life, it first happens inside of our heart. Before you ever become a tither, something happens inside of your heart to where you end up loving God more than you love money. Before you ever serve in church, something happens in your heart that pulls you towards serving Jesus. Before anything happens on the outside, something first has to happen on the inside. And because of this, the goal is for your heart to be pure and for you to examine your heart on a regular basis so when you leave here, you sow the seeds God wants you to sow so that you reap the harvest God wants you to reap. And the reason we're talking about being a forgiving farmer in the conclusion of this series is because the number one tool above everything else that the enemy uses to contaminate our hearts is the tool of offense, of hurt. that we hold on. All offense is is unforgiveness. That's all it is. And I don't believe that we realize how much we get offended. I don't think we realize how many times we allow our heart to be hurt and the wrong seed is planted on the inside. This beautiful thing up here um, that you can see costs us several thousand dollars to make. This is, a, this is the garden of your heart. And nobody can decide what goes inside of your heart except for you. 
Uh, nobody can force the, the right seed to be planted in your heart. Nobody can force the wrong seed to be planted inside of your heart. Every time you get your feelings hurt, every time you get offended, every time somebody does something you don't like, a seed is planted inside of your heart. And whatever seed goes in determines what comes out and what comes up inside of your life. Now, if someone hurts your feelings and that seed takes root and you begin to talk about that person behind their back, you begin to go to bed at night instead of praying or, or thinking the right things, you're thinking about how they hurt you that day, and then three weeks later you snap at that person and they have no idea why, and it's because something was planted inside of your heart that was never supposed to be planted inside of your heart. But at the same time, when somebody hurts your feelings or does you wrong or something like that, offends you, when that seed is planted, you could let that seed turn into the right tree, which would be a tree of mercy, forgiveness, love, patience, kindness, whatever. You get to decide. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart, for out of your heart flows every issue of your life. Everything in your entire life that you will ever go through is not based on the outside. It's based on what you're letting on the inside. If this is your heart, you're responsible for your heart. I'm not responsible for your heart. Your pastor, your parents, your, your spouse is not responsible for your heart. You get to decide what gets planted in here. You get to decide what goes inside of your heart. What type of tree is planted every single day in the harvest of the heart that God has given you. The enemy's agenda is destruction in our life. It's very, very clear that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy he wants to steal away your time, your energy, your gifts from the right places and put them in the wrong places. He wants to destroy your marriage, your relationships. He wants to prevent you from having a healthy relationship with Jesus. Because if your heart's filled with the wrong things, how is Jesus going to be able to speak to your heart? If you let the wrong things keep getting planted on the inside. His agenda is destruction. His strategy is division. He wants to put a wedge between you and Jesus. He wants to put a wedge between you and your wife. He wants to put a wedge between you and your church family. And here's his tactic. His tactic is not to run in and say, I want you to get a divorce. His tactic is not to jump in there and say, I don't want you to go to church anymore. His tactic is not to go in there and say, nobody appreciates you at work. Quit your job today. His, that's not his tactic. His tactic is this, little seeds of offense. Just little things. Not that big deal. They looked at you the wrong way. They must not like you. She told you she didn't like your hair that way. She thinks you're hideous. She doesn't respect anything you say. You asked her to turn the TV off and, and it couldn't be that she didn't hear you. It's that she doesn't love you and she thinks you're a failure. The littlest and smallest seeds. Let me ask you an agricultural question. What is easier to get rid of, a seed or a tree? A seed, right? The point is, is every time somebody offends you, hurts your feelings, says something wrong, you got to deal with it immediately. If you don't deal with it right away, it's going to grow into something you never wanted to grow in your life. Nobody can force you to feel what you feel. You choose. This is your heart. I can't force you to be hurt, and I can't force you to sow seeds of mercy and have joy. It's totally up to you. We can't blame anybody else for the seeds that have been planted. You say, well, they hurt me so bad and they intended to offend me. It doesn't matter. You can choose if that seed's going to take root or not. So I have five points today, and the five points today are the same titles of the sermon of the past five sermons, okay? Remember part one was be what kind of farmer? Fruitful farmer. Number one is this. Unforgiveness affects our fruit. 
Unforgiveness affects our fruit. And the second somebody offends you, hurts your feelings, on the inside, if you let that seed get planted, it buries itself and it turns into a tree that God never meant to be in your life. I've never seen anybody produce anything great in life who had unforgiveness on the inside. I've never seen it, ever. In fact, we live in a day where everybody's getting offended. I mean, everyone gets offended. You go on Facebook. I, last week, I did a Facebook post on um, the scripture that says how our conversations should be seasoned with salt, you know? And I said, I went to a restaurant and they brought me a dish. And it's a true story. It was way too salty. And so I had them send it back. And when they brought it back, there was no salt. So I had to add a little bit. And I put, the point is, is I want my conversations to not be, you know, I'm forcing my convictions on people. That's too much salt. But I don't want to be watered down to where I'm like everybody else. And I want just the right amount of salt. That was my Facebook post. And some lady gets on there and says, how dare you return food to a restaurant? You're a pastor. You should not do things like that. Lady, that's not the point of the thing. I want to talk about the restaurant. People get offended so easy. You wouldn't even believe the people that have gotten offended in church. Now, not any time in the past few years, but another church I was past, man, everybody got offended. They got offended at my jokes, rightfully so. They got offended <laughs> if I they got offended if I didn't say hey to them in church. Listen, if I don't say hey to you, come say hey to me. Right? Don't you can get out of your chair and come talk to me. People get offended when I do say hey to them, and then I call them by the wrong name and you know, stupid <laughs> stuff like that. Let it go. Um People get offended. I remember an old lady one time at, um, at my... She was 85 years old. Okay, a mature woman. She was old as dirt. But anyway, she... Um, and can you believe she got offended at me? And so she, she greeted me after church one Sunday, and she said, um, I can't stand to watch you preach when you wear bright shirts. And so I said, well... I said, well, I wore like a hot pink shirt, you know, like an express. And I said, well, why don't you just close your eyes and listen? She said, well, I like watching you, but it, it, it offends me whenever you wear bright shirts. And so I thought we could joke around. So I winked at her. And I said, you just want me to take my shirt off, don't you? And we never saw her ever again. She never came back, ever. People get offended. At, you sit in their seat, they're offended. You don't talk to them, they're offended. People on the internet, they have all these people offended that like if a, if a woman's a woman and somebody says, sir, and they go absolutely ballistic, or if a man's a man and somebody says, ma'am, y'all seen those things on Facebook and people go crazy. Listen, if you're a sir and people are calling you ma'am, grow some facial hair or something like that. Don't get offended. Let it go. You know, me and Micah, we go through the drive-thru a lot, the fast food drive-thrus. We do that because she's such a good cook. I want to savor it when she does cook. And so we go through... I need more volume. We go through the drive-thrus a lot. And so I'm driving and we go through and I say, you know, um, I want, you know, two Big Macs with extra sauce and a large, you know, chocolate milkshake, a large fry. And then after that, I order for myself. And then after we're done, <laughs> nine times out of 10, the lady in the window, the lady in the, in the, in the, in the, in the speaker says, is that all ma'am? Is it all you want ma'am? And it's because my voice is so high pitched. I don't go ballistic on them. I just pull up forward and I, thank you very much, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'll take more fries or whatever, you know. Just let these things go, man. It's not worth losing your peace. It's not worth having the wrong thing planted. Hebrews 12, 15 says, don't allow bitter roots to spring up and everyone become contaminated by the poison. Everybody say poison. poison. Bitter roots. 
always produce bitter fruit. You may not see it in this area of your life. You may not see it right away, but I promise you, if you've allowed a bitter root on the inside, bitter fruit will always spring up. And it says it's like poison. I don't care how thirsty you are. If you saw one of those bottles with the bones on it and the skeleton, you know, the, the, the poison bottles, they still have those, right? You know where a kid would know. You wouldn't drink that poison, would you? No, you wouldn't. But you do it every single day that you get offended. And then when you are dumb enough to tell somebody, you're handing them the poison as well. You won't believe what my wife did the other day. Drink some of this poison. You won't believe what so-and-so did. It hurt my feelings here. Drink some of this poison. On on, they begin to hand their poison to everybody else until everybody in their life has become contaminated, not by some huge giant thing, by some little teeny seed that was supposed to be picked up and thrown out. And they left it on the inside and it's producing bitter fruit in their life. Uh, number two is this. Remember the second sermon was be a future farmer? Okay, unforgiveness, it affects our future. It affects our future. I've studied men and women's lives um, I've just, every week. Hours and hours I study, I read the Bible, I study um, you know, history. I love it. I've never found a single man or woman who was a biblically successful person who God gave a bright future to. Now they had bright futures. God had a good plan for their life. And it wasn't some huge thing like murder or stealing or anything like that. The thing that prevented them from having the destiny God wanted them to have is simply unforgiveness in their heart. Just another tree that was planted that should have never been planted in the first place. Um, there's a story of David before he took the throne of Israel. After he was anointed, but before he actually became king, he is uh, protecting the borders of Israel with a bunch of men that are serving under him. David's heart, his passion was Israel. He was going to be the next king. This was all he wanted to do was take care of Israel. As they're protecting this border, the men started getting hungry and they ran out of supplies. And David looks way down the mountain and he sees a guy's home by the name of Nabal. Everybody say Nabal. Nabal was a rich, rich, rich man and David knew he had stuff that could help them. So David told his men, go ask Nabal for some supplies. We're protecting his border. Of course he'll help us out and give it to us. So David's men go down there. They say, Nabal, David says, can you give us some food? And here's what Nabal said in 1 Samuel 25, 10. Who does David think he is? Is he some kind of runaway slave? That's all he said. All he said was, you know, your mama's so dumb. She sold her car for gas money. I mean, it was like, no, it was stupid. Stupid. Your mom is so dumb it took her 90 minutes to watch 60 minutes. I don't know what it, but anyway, so well, who does David think he is? Is he a runaway slave? That's all he said. When they came and told David, this guy said, you're a runaway slave, David ordered every man in verse 13, get your swords. We're going to cut off his head. We're going to kill every one of his family members. We're not letting him get away with this. David, all he said was, you're a runaway slave. Who cares about this guy? It's no big deal. David was so stressed, so passionate about what he was doing, it hurt his feelings so bad he was going to kill a person. Here's what I've discovered. We are much more easily offended in the area of our passion. If you, know, if you want to know when to guard your heart the most, guard your heart in the areas that you are most passionate in. If you're a stay-at-home mom and that is your life and your kids and you're with another mom and you're feeding your baby and this, and this other mom says, well, we give our baby so-and-so kind of formula. 
And you think, you must think I'm the world's most awful mom. I can't believe you said that. You think I'm horrible. No, no. All she said was she gives her baby a different formula. That's all she said. No, she thinks I'm the worst mom in the world. I'm never talking to her. No, no, that's not what she said. That's not what she said. I I, I knew a landscaper one time, and all I did was text him one time about some weeds. I thought it was no big deal. Eight months later, he's upset with me. I can't believe that time you text me about those weeds eight months ago. Dude, it was just some weeds. It's no big deal. But his passion caused him to be insecure. Um, like in my area, one of my greatest passions is, is public speaking and preaching. And so I really care about what my wife thinks more than anybody else. And so I'll ask her sometimes. I used to ask her a lot more. But I say, you know, how was the sermon? And she'll say, oh, it was great. It was a little long. It was a little long. Do you know how hard I worked on that closing? I prayed for 15 hours for that scripture. You tell me I'm the worst preacher in the world. All I said was it's a little bit long. I've learned now in the areas that I'm most passionate in parenting, speaking, I'll say, you know, before you give me any instruction, tell me five things you love and maybe I'll hear what it is you have to say about instruction. We are always so much more unedged in the areas that we're most passionate about. And so David's going to kill this guy and cut off his head. And so he meets David, he meets Nabal's wife, Abigail, on the way there. Abigail stops him and in verse 30 she says this, Master, forgive this wrong. Do not kill my husband. So when God completes the future that he has in store for you, so when God gives you the future that you've been praying about all this time, So when God opens the door for you to be king of Israel, you will not be found guilty. Here's what she's saying. David, you know and I know you'll never be king with unforgiveness in your heart. You will never have the future God wants you to have if the wrong things are on the inside. David swallowed his pride, forgave the wrong, and he became king and ruler over Israel. The greatest king to ever reign over Israel, in fact. Point number three, and you remember the third sermon, of course. Unforgiveness affects our ferventness unforgiveness affects our now ferventness is not a word you use all the time i'm sure ferventness means um excitability passion unforgiveness stops you in your tracks anytime a seed of an offense or unforgiveness is planted on the inside if you do not get rid of it immediately it baits you into reliving that moment over and over and over and over again I remember when I first started pastor and I was um, 26, 27 years old and this couple in their 40s came to me for counseling and I thought that my job as a pastor was to counsel people and I discovered that I'm the horrible counselor. Don't ever come to me at all for that. But anyway, this couple came to me and um, the lady was kind of crying and telling me about her husband and he did this to me and hurt my feelings and stuff and the husband was a very mild-mannered man and he was telling her, honey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that and they're talking... And she starts crying and getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And finally she does this. She says, you're just planning on leaving me like my first husband did back in 1987. I was like, 1987? I was eight years old. Don't come to me for counseling when you've been holding on to something since 1987. The seed was planted 20-something, 30 years before. And she's still feeling the same hurt. She can can remember everything the day her husband walked out on her. She remembered the weather, what was playing on TV in the background, the clothes he was wearing, 
the cologne he had on. She remembered everything because she was trapped in a place where a seed was planted that was never supposed to be planted there. The word offense comes from the Greek word scandalon. It means bait. Everybody say bait. It's the stuff that they would put into a trap to lure an animal in there to be trapped. Now, the animal never saw the trap. The animal saw the, the bait. The animal was focused on what looked. It felt good to hold on to that. It feels good to talk about what they did to me. It feels good to think about how much I want them to hurt. And the, and the animal gets closer and closer. And when it grabs the bait, little does it know, but there's a trap. And as soon as that animal is trapped, it keeps that animal there. It cannot go forward anymore. And there are people with a seed of unforgiveness on the inside. And yes, time's going by and they've got a new job and they got a new spouse or whatever. But the seed that was planted was never uprooted. And so they go through their life with this emotional and even spiritual sense that always takes every bad situation back to the day that the seed was planted. An offense is an event, but staying offended is a decision. The seed being planted, listen, when the seed came your way, that was an event that happened. But that seed taking root and staying in your heart, that's a decision that only you have made. It, it takes away your passion to go forward. On, um, on Super Bowl Sunday, um, it was my first Super Bowl. I was so excited. I was at my friend's house. And there's a bunch of people there, and I'm um, watching the Super Bowl for the first time ever. Everybody's laughing and, and eating, and they're drinking water. Everybody had water. It was frozen into cubes and put in other drinks. But anyway, everybody had water. And so we're having fun, and I'm, I'm enjoying the night, and everything's great. And then I get a beep on my phone that somebody went on our church Facebook page, some yo-yo Christian, and this person puts this long paragraph about how solid rock is of the devil because we sell coffee and t-shirts in our cafe. They had all these scriptures on there and, and, um, and, and the inner courts and the outer courts and all this stupid stuff. And so I should have let it go. So don't do what I do, do what I say, okay? And so I got on Facebook and I messaged this lady and I said, have you ever been to our church before? Because you seem to know a lot. She said, I've never been there, but the Holy Spirit led me to tell you that you are not of God because y'all sell t-shirts. So I said, <laughs> I said, well, the Holy Spirit's leading me. <laughs> I said, I got a word from the Holy Spirit for you. I said, it's, it's, it's so clear from the Holy Spirit. It's straight out the Bible. And I put 1 Thessalonians 4.11. And then I blocked her. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, Make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business. Okay, listen. <laughs> then I blocked her. But anyway. Why did I tell that story? That wasn't a good story. <laughs> I didn't do the right thing. <laughs> Unforgiveness, it stops you from enjoying your life. It stops you from moving forward. You got to be able to deal with it at its onset. The fourth sermon in our series would be a family farmer. Unforgiveness affects your family. If I were to ask you many years ago, who's going to be your enemies in life? If I were to ask you, who are you going to be most upset with? Who's going to attack you the most? Who are you going to be hurt by the most? None of you would think that it would be somebody close to you. 
Everyone would think, well, it'd be my, my, you know, my enemies from years. It'd be people that don't like me. If you were to ask me when I started pastoring, John Paul, who is going to be against you? Who's going to attack you more than anybody? I would have thought, well, the atheists are going to do it. Or the non-believers. Or, or people out there in the world. I get along fine with atheists. I get along fine. Listen, drug dealers, alcoholics, whatever. They, don't, they, they love church. They love the Word. They're fine with it. It's the people that seem like they're closest to you that hurt you the most. Um, the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for love and passion and joy. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for strife and pain. Listen, nobody can hurt you like somebody who you have given your heart to. Nobody can cause you pain like somebody that you care about deeply. You know, you would never think when you're saying your vows that you would be in court years later fighting over things that you gained while you were married. You never thought when you became friends with that person, y'all were so close, you never thought that something so small could turn into something so big and cause you to be lifelong enemies. And it's usually not something big. It's usually just the little seeds of offense that come our way. It says in Matthew 5, 21 through 20, it's a very unusual passage. It says, you heard it said, Jesus is talking, don't murder. But I tell you this, if someone continues to be angry with a brother or sister, everybody say brother or sister. That's a close relationship. It's brothers and sisters in Christ, family, intimate relationships. If anyone is angry, continues to be angry, is guilty of judgment. Anybody who says to a brother or sister, Raka, I have no idea what Raka means at all, but I know it's a four-letter word, and there's a hard consonant right in the middle. Raka, you, no Raka, you. <laughs> Anyone who says Raka is gonna is answerable to the court and in danger of the fire of hell. Now, as a side theological note, hell in this passage is not talking about hell where Satan's at. Hell in this passage is talking about a place called Gehenna. It was on earth, and it's where they would burn bodies. Even some of them would burn bodies alive. And there was always this fire. The fire never went out. And the Jewish people he was talking to knew about this place, Gehenna. And they knew the smell of it. When you came anywhere within distance, they knew the fire never went out. Here's what this is saying. There are people who you love so much that may even be living in your home who can make your house a living hell if they don't learn how to let go of every little offense. If you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has sinned against you, leave your gift at the altar. Make peace. And then, it, You know why a lot of you don't worship? Because something in your heart's in there is not supposed to be there. The reason you don't bring your offerings to the altar is because there's something in your heart. It's not a lack of money. It's not you need to pay bills. Everything in life comes out of our heart. It goes on to say, settle matters quickly. As soon as the seed's planted, get that seed out of there. Because your adversary. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Whoa. Wait, wait. We were talking about a brother or sister. 
We were talking about someone we were close to. We were talking about somebody we loved and served and spent time with and shared our life with. And, and we, we were talking about somebody that, 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 that we thought was always going to have our back. And now four verses later, they're an adversary taking you to court? I told you last week about my peach tree. Remember my peach tree out here? And the bum, I mean the homeless guy that was taking my peaches, you know? I got over that in like 10 seconds. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. But if I saw one of y'all stealing my peaches out there, after I serve you and love you and give to you and you're going to take my peaches, I would be furious. Why is that? Because we're close. You know, biblically, it's supposed to be the opposite. Biblically, the closer the people, the more love and mercy and forgiveness. You know that, right? It's, anybody can forgive a homeless guy who you don't even know. The real test of our faith is, can you forgive the people that you love the most? You say, I love you. Well, then forgive. Well, they wouldn't hurt me if they loved me. Yes, they would. Everybody hurts everybody. That's just how life goes. Now, I, I know what it's like, the, the divorce and that kind of thing. So let me say this. It takes two people to be reconciled, but it takes one to forgive. I want to make sure you understand that. It takes two for that relationship to reconcile, but it only takes you to forgive. Last point, and this was the sermon last week, was be a faithful farmer. Unforgiveness affects our faith. It affects our faith. Um, Satan never comes in and says, listen, I want to destroy everything in your life. I want to steal the things God's given to you. He's very, very subtle. In fact, let me say it like this. If a thief was in your house, because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If a thief was in your house when you got home today from church, and he had a gun, and you knew he was there to steal, kill, and destroy, would you say, you know what, I'm going to deal with you later. I don't want to deal with it right now. I'll wait till John Paul preaches on it, and then I'll deal with this thief that's in my home trying to kill. You would deal with it immediately, wouldn't you? I mean, you know what else this can represent? This can represent the big old log that you have in your eye when you're judging other people. When you see the speck in there, and you got this big old log knocking people with your log. Unforgiveness affects our faith. And you don't realize, but here was Jesus. Y'all saw Jesus back there, right? Okay. And all this unforgiveness, you think that's just affecting your family, you think it's just affecting your, it's affecting your relationship with Jesus. In fact, offense creates a fence between your heart and the heart of Jesus. And here's Jesus. John Paul, John Paul, why don't you, why don't you give in the offering? John Paul, why, why, aren't you, why aren't you worshiping me? John Paul, I've been trying to talk to you. Can you not hear me? I really want to bless you. How about this? John Paul, do you know there's some stuff that you've done that, that people have forgiven? You know there's some stuff you've done that, that I've let go? Because in Mark eleven twenty four, whatever you ask for in prayer, in accordance to God's will, believe you've received it and it'll be given to you. Now that's a huge verse of faith. It, whatever you ask for in prayer, in accordance to God's will, you believe it and you will receive it. That's an amazing scripture. Oh, man, there's more to that scripture. I'm so sorry. I forgot about this next part. 
But whenever you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Drop it. Everybody say drop it. Let it go so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. Your pastor calls you by the wrong name. What do you need to do? Drop it. Your wife turns off your piano and you've asked her freaking thousand times to not turn off. What do you need to do? You need to drop it. Your wife, she, um, she leaves her curling iron on and you burn your hand. And the more you think about it, the more you think she did it on purpose. She wanted you to burn your hand for something that you did to her and you can't think of it, but you're sure that's her mother. In reality, you need to do what? Drop it. Your pastor calls you by the wrong name. You need to... <laughs> your husband brings Doritos in the bed and you've told him five times not to do it. He's not trying to be mean. He just forgets about the Doritos. What, you could start World War III, but what do you need to do? You're at a Super Bowl party. And there's these squares on the wall with numbers on them. And all the guys are betting $25 on the game. And your wife says, I don't think that's a good idea. She didn't say, don't do it. She just said, I don't think it's a good idea. And you do it anyway. Is it worth running the whole night? Is it worth running the next three days? What should you do? I'm not going to look up there right now. I'm going to just keep looking down here. I'm going to just stay down. I'm going to just go like this the rest of the Jesus, you need to tell Micah to drop it. <laughs> oh, listen. In the words of Snoop Dogg, you need to drop it like it's hot. <laughs> you know, I wish we had an example of somebody who had the right to be offended. He was beaten, he was abused, he was mistreated. When he needed his friends the most, they fell asleep on him. You know, I preach sermons like this, and I, I think that I'm all good. You know, I think that I, by the time I get here Sunday morning, I think, okay, I'm good, I'm okay. And you don't realize when you start talking about it, it's about, just about unforgiveness. It's about if it, you don't realize the things that are brought up that are in your heart. 1987, you know? And I think about Jesus, when, 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 when that happened to him, what was he saying? Man, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to, you just wait till I get off this cross. I'm going to be done with you. I'm going to show you what it feels like to be deserted, be mistreated, beaten, hurt. Luke 22, 34, he said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You know what Jesus said? I'm going to drop it. 